Welcome to the summer edition of Published or Not on 3CR, 8.55am online and digital. I'm Ewan Mitchell and for the next half hour I'll be talking books and publishing with our guest authors for the week. So whether you're relaxing on holiday or keeping the country running, I hope you enjoy Published or Not. Well, welcome to this, the fourth edition of the summer series, and the ashes are in the bag. People are trickling back to work, and it's going to be in the mid-30s today in Melbourne. And the theme for today is community. Melbourne has an incredible depth of writing communities. We are the second city of literature in the world. We were designated by UNESCO as the second city of literature in the world in 2008, after Edinburgh. It took a lot of work to actually get that status uh, together. But one of the reasons why we were the second of the world is the depth and breadth of writing communities. So that's the theme for today, writing communities. And we've got two really good communities today, just to give you an idea of uh, the range. We're going to start with Joel Martin and his speculative fiction festival, which he's getting off the ground in April 2018. And then we're going to talk to Gordon Thompson, whose anthology Bent Street is going to be released in early February. And it's a response, or partly a response, to last year's same sex marriage vote from the LGBTIQ community. So there you get the idea of community and how we're going to be looking at it today. And I'd like to start by welcoming Joel Martin to Published or Not. Thanks, Ewan. Good to be here. Look, Joel, this is getting something off the ground like this. How do you do it? (laughs) Well, that's a good question. I think I'm in the process of trying to figure out the answer, but definitely not there yet. It's just um, looking at a bunch of fires and then getting an extinguisher and just hoping out you have enough (laughs) to just put them all out. But I just, it it is a good amount of fun, but uh, hard work. But you've lit the fire for the Speculative Fiction Festival. Mm -hmm. Now, can we distinguish this from Continuum, which sure. is another speculative fiction convention? How does it differ? Uh, I think Continuum's held on the Queen's birthday weekend. Yes, absolutely. So Speculate's held in uh, what will be held on April the 28th, uh, which is a Saturday, uh, just after the Anzac uh, week, I believe. Okay. Uh, and yeah, it's just designed to be a day where speculative writers get to talk about craft. Now, Continuum's a great uh, festival. I've been on a panel there before. Uh, and I have a great amount of respect uh, for the writers and the organizers. Um, one point of difference, I think, Continuum uh, definitely caters to uh, the audience of speculative fiction really well. Yeah. Um, and authors have a great time there. I think Speculate is designed specifically for the craft of writing. Uh, we're here to talk about nitty-gritty stuff, right? Um, we're talking about the hero's journey. We're talking about mythic structure and fantasy. We're talking about themes in science fiction. You know, you name it, you know, we'll be talking about it. So Continuum is more for the fans and Speculate, your speculative fiction fic- festival, which is going to start on April 28th, that's more for the craft of writing. So people who want to write it. Now, could you define speculative fiction for us? We've just assumed people know what we're talking about. What is speculative fiction? Absolutely. Well, speculative fiction, it's, it's one of those terms. I was actually speaking to a specfic uh, writer very early on in the um, you know, inception of the festival. Uh, and one of the things he said to me was, you know, oh, that sounds great, but what, what, what spec, what spec thick? <laughs> um, and it was, you know, it was surprising to me, but I guess it's, it's not that, uh, it is, is a bit of an unknown term for some people. Um, well, spec thick is basically just an umbrella term uh, that we designate to fiction that's fantasy, horror, science fiction, you know, everything in between. Um, 
And I think it's the genres that fire the imagination. It's the genres that go beyond our reality. Um, and yeah, and that's basically what speculative fiction is. And initially it was coined as a term of insult. You know, it's speculative fiction. Oh, as a term of insult? Absolutely, yeah. And, and we've co-opted that term and, yeah. and we've, you know, we said, no, absolutely, imagination is a, is a good thing. Yeah. I've never understood it to be a pejorative term. Mm. I always thought it was just, well, describing, as you said, fantasy, horror, yeah. sci-fi, and it, speculating on what may or may not be and what uh, could be. Now, you have a background. You've written a couple of uh, spec fiction novels yourself. But I also know in your CV, you have done some story design for computer games <laughs> in none other than the Ukraine. Is that yeah. right? Well, it's actually, I have to get this right here. So I believe the company is based in the Ukraine, but I work with people in Belarus. So a little, oh, oh, okay. little right. bit of a distinction there. Yeah. So as opposed um, to, uh, so what is the capital of Belarus? Minsk, Minsk. I think it is. And what's the capital place. of uh, Ukraine? Don't ask me that, Ewan. <laughs> Don't put me here. <laughs> okay, but this is an example. From Melbourne, you're doing this online with a community overseas and the, I guess if we could call it the CIS, uh, mm-hmm. the Commonwealth of Independent States. Mm. And you're not programming. You are doing the story design, so the storytelling component of computer games. How did you get into that? Um, yeah, I ask myself that question all the time. Uh, <laughs> it, it was very much one of those things where... Uh, I, I was very interested in the medium and, you know, we'll be doing that at Speculate as well. We'll be talking about uh, video game narrative because I think that's super important to where speculative fiction is. Terrific. Um, and yeah, vi- video game narrative is curious to me because I think it pushes um, what we think as the uh, interactive novel, right? Yeah. Pushes it to play uh, interactivity with a story, becomes very fluid and really interesting. And I think story design within that um, is even more interesting. So I got into that and I, I contacted someone, well, uh, my boss at that yeah. time, um, and we, were, we got talking and then they needed someone to design the English component uh, for, for the game. Um, and yeah, I just sort of uh, flounced in there like a beached whale and then eventually <laughs> uh, found my way around it. But it was a great experience. No, you're being yeah. very modest here. You've been very entrepreneurial about it. But I like the way you described it as an interactive novel. Now, that might get some people's backups. So, hang on, interactive novel. You know, there's a novel, it's paper. Maybe I can handle an ebook. But uh, the point being, and I've heard this said, and I'd like to get your view on it, that uh, a computer game can be good uh, just all on its own. But if you get the story element right, it can just lift it into the realms of being a great game. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. I, one of the, um, there was a survey done. It was an American, uh, it was the Film and Interactive uh, Media section. I'm, I'm, I'm fudging it here. But basically they did a survey on why people buy video games, right? Yeah. And the largest bit on that pie chart was the narrative. Really? Okay. So, and that surprised me, right? Yeah. Um, I, I thought it would have been the, you know, the, the action part. The action, exactly. Yeah. Um, and that's what I thought as well, even though I worked in it. And uh, yeah, we, we definitely do stigmatize uh, people in, in that uh, genre, uh, in, the, in that medium, I suppose. But uh, yeah, narrative plays a massive part. I see. Well, look, with Speculate, um, it's, uh, I understand the venue is in uh, the Gasworks Park. Is that right? Yes, that's Gasworks Arts Park in Gatsworks Albert Park. Arts uh, Park. Mm-hmm. So now, uh, remind me, where, what is the address of the Gasworks Arts Park? So just Google Albert Park and you'll yeah. find it because I will not, oh, <laughs> I will okay. not be able to remember the exact address. Yeah. But um, basically it will be on April the 28th. Yeah. Um, at uh, Gasworks Arts Park from nine o'clock to 
uh, 5.30, and there'll be a number of sessions there. We haven't announced uh, who's on there just yet, um, but we will very soon. I, I know you can't say it publicly uh, yet, but uh, just talking before we came, sure. I'm pretty excited about some of the authors that you've got lined up, and they'll be announced soon enough. Now, you have uh, got a, s- a website together Absolutely. for Speculate, mm-hmm. and there is a little bit of a trick to the address. I thought I was looking at specific.com.au, <laughs> yeah. but it's specfic.com.au. That's correct. Now, if people are interested in becoming involved as volunteers, what should they do? So there's a newsletter on the website. So any information, any call-outs that we have, we'll go through that newsletter as well as early bird ticketing as well. So uh, definitely sign up for that newsletter if you're interested. Okay, and that's operational now at specfic.com.au. Okay, now it's it's not continuum.org.au, which Mm -hmm. we talked about before, but this is an example of the two communities working together and there's more a craft side to speculate. Joel Martin's festival coming in uh, April 28th, which complements what seems to complement Continuum, which is the Queen's birthday weekend. All right, well, look, thank you, Joel, so much for enlightening us on that. But I want you to stick around because now we've got Gordon Thompson. Morning, Gordon. G'day, how are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. And uh, now I have yet to see your anthology, but I believe it's back from the printers. It is, there it is. I was handing a copy across the desk. Oh, brilliant. This must have been a pretty tight timeline to get this anthology of LGBTIQ writing uh, together, given that you wanted, did you include uh, the result of the same-sex marriage uh, vote and uh, (laughs) passing into law? Well, there's there's a tale, because essentially we... I spoke with the editor, Tiffany Jones, and this was, I think, sometime early October, and we actually sort of shook hands on it and said, let's do it. And so the concept was, let's do a journal which gathers together writing from a particular year. Now, last year was a very special year for the LGBTR community, sure. obviously, but this is a journal which will be ongoing, so we'll do one you know, as the years unfold. And so certainly we worked very quickly and in a short space of time had about 30 to 40 submissions. Right. Oh, and, that's um, great. So that was good, and we filled it out that way. It's, um, but it wasn't deliberately meant to sort of celebrate or grieve, depending what outcomes yeah. had happened. <laughs> but certainly if you read through the journal, we had, I got an interview with um, with Dennis Altman, and we did that in early in October, like we started off. Here's the interview. And wow. it's filled okay. with little references. Well, I can, mm. say, you know, I can say that, but we, we don't know yet because we're talking yeah. now, but you'll be publishing in early December, mm-hmm. which is what happened. Yeah. And so we just held back the print, you know, pressing... The go button, mm. just to see what would happen. And so certainly when the um, the postal, you know, sort of thing came through. So now that was, uh, that I think, was November the 15th, was that right? At the no, end, when was, the results uh, were announced? I think that's about right, yes. Yeah. So, but, And you'd held off until yes. knowing the result. Did you hold off until it was passed no. into law, though? No. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, but then yeah, that's, yeah. Uh, that's the kind of, that's the yeah. gambit, isn't it? Yeah. Because you're creating yeah. a journal, and I think part of it was, yeah. okay, let's reflect the year. But, of course, it's a fiction because you can't reflect yeah. December. Yeah. You know, and yeah. so it's more or less yeah. 2017. Mm. And uh, and so as each journal comes on, you a person can read that and over time they can see the issues, the themes which were, you know, coming to light in that particular year. So it's time sensitive. You get a picture of how the LGBTI community is shaping, forming mm. and thinking. And it's very interesting to reflect on what the genres are. So like we've got a, a particular genre which you might call the rant. The <laughs> rant. The rant. Know. Because when you're encouraging writers to perhaps have mm. a go and say something, the first thing they want to say is just they want to splurge. They want Stream to, of consciousness. Yeah, they yeah. want to tell you exactly yeah. how bad it's been and what they're going to do about it. Well, that is so honest writing, isn't it? There's it a is real very honest writing. Yeah. 
And so there's a, a little bit of a, a double thing happening there is that we wanted to gather up almost like found objects, mm-hmm. particular kinds of writing. So there are blog posts, there are letters. But when the person was writing that, they weren't sort of consciously thinking, oh, this is going to go in the magazine. Like, Dear Diary, tomorrow yeah. you will be published. It wasn't yeah. that. <laughs> They're writing unselfconsciously about what is on their heart. Whereas yeah. sometimes when you say, oh, here's a journal and it's, you know, it's looking at the year, people say, oh, I've just written an article about the year where I take an overview. Well, I didn't want that. I wanted the thing you were doing on yeah. this and that and the other to sort of perhaps get a bit deeper than just merely yeah. Well, you, uh, you didn't want the two, uh, make it too formal. Correct, um, yes. So, now, when did it come back from the printers? Because <laughs> it's beautifully it's, bound. It's there on the blog. It's yeah. uh, No, this is basically digital production. Oh, okay. So it's a very yeah. simple... It's come up very well. It's yeah. a simple, small press method yeah. that I think any self-publisher yeah. does. You basically yeah. can create it using, would you believe, Microsoft Word, because <laughs> there are advantages to not mm. using InDesign. Yeah. And so you, you put that together. Little tricks you can use. You create your PDFs of your text and your cover, and then you send it off to... And in this case, we use Dennis Jones and Associates. So they are a distributor, and they basically distribute a lot of small independent authors and small press. And then above that you have, you know, like sort of uh, Penguin Distribution, the larger ones, who may take your book if you can guarantee 10,000 of sales. So Dennis Jones is very welcoming. But what they also do is that they take the file and they've got the e-book created for all the platforms Mm -hmm. in about a week. And then they load up the files. You could do it yourself, but I prefer for them to do it. And then it's then available through Lightning Source. And that is the feeder into Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Book Depository. And so they take care of all that particular management of that. Well, that explains why it's so well-banned. It's a a, a nice matte lamination finish. It's not uh, so so just the varnish finish, which you sometimes find. I know. We we like the classy matte (laughs) finish. I mean, Lightning Source is one of the imprints, of course, of the world's biggest book distributor, Ingram. That's right. uh, Dennis's operation, uh, I know he's got the distribution, but I think with the e-book and print-on-demand books, Mm -hmm. uh, is that Port Campbell Press is that Port Campbell is the e press, the e press, and so your e book right. goes out and as a kind of yeah. consolidated list, yeah. you know, and they distribute mm. that list yeah. uh, you know, around the world as they do. Yeah. And uh, but the book itself is printed, I think, the Lightning Source Factory, I think it's in Croydon or Lillardale, which is yeah. Scoresby. Yeah. Yeah, sort of well, there's, there's only five in the world, and we've got one here in Melbourne. Oh, there's a sixth one being yeah. built, but and, uh, and so yeah. people may not be aware, yeah. but that's the economy of scale. Like, say, yeah. if somebody in Melbourne wants a copy, it's printed. In Scoresby, mm-hmm. yeah. it comes by surface mail to them, and there's yeah. the saving. If somebody in, in Manitoba wants it, yeah. it's printed in South Carolina and freighted yeah. up at American yeah. Mail surface rate. Right. So yeah. that's how it becomes yeah. available, yeah. you know, through. Because once, when uh, maybe you're aware, like when I was, we first started Clouds of Magellan Press, this is about ten years ago, and we thought, hey, we can put it up on Amazon. Yeah. Somebody bought a copy. We'd have to. Posted across to America oh, for about oh, 20, yeah. $27, $27 postage. <laughs> <laughs> We'd made, and so it was, look, an absolute yeah. loss. Yeah. But you did it, you know, for the benefit of the author because, you Absolutely. know, obviously yeah. that person in America really wanted the book. You can see I'm really interested in the mechanics of how this yeah. all came together as well. But it's, it's an insight. Uh, we like to focus on the craft and also mm. the ins and outs of, outs of publishing. So I should stress that uh, Gordon Thompson is the publisher at Clouds of Magellan Press who have published the anthology mm. Bent Street. It's the inaugural girl edition for 2017 but i hasten to add it's about to be launched in early february is that right yes and Um, where's it being launched february the 11th at hairs and hyenas really just not so far from where we are talking um so that's a sunday at four o'clock 11th of february And uh, Tiffany Jones, who's the editor, she's based at Macquarie University. They're organising a Sydney launch. So at least we'll have two capital cities. 
And have you got the guest speaker for the Melbourne launch? Almost. Oh, okay. (laughs) He's checking his diary. Okay. (laughs) So I was hoping to announce that on air. That's okay. Now, just back to the the content of the anthology Mm. itself. Uh, So there were quite a few rants in there. Not too many. I mean, like, look, in a sense, that was what was submitted, but Mm. we tried tried to de-rant it, if that makes sense. I mean, I'm not saying this is (laughs) this is have stereotyping things, but there was a whole beautiful range of things, and I think what is good about this particular thing is the yeah. community aspect. Yeah. So often, call it the, the the letter a person has written, the blog post, it doesn't need much editing. It comes as it is. It's fresh. It's vibrant. Yeah. But then when people are more self-conscious as writers, you know, with the short stories or perhaps, they need work. It's almost as though people who decide to write short stories get awfully caught up, <laughs> and that needs some work. And maybe also... Emerging writers need encouragement, and that's yeah. been Clouds of Magellan's thing that we've published, emerging writers, first-time novelists. That's what yeah. we have done over the decade. And so this is an opportunity to then sit down with that writer and say, well, let's meet and talk and let's work mm. through this. And you realise you've used the word really yeah. <laughs> 360 times because <laughs> well, I actually went through, yeah. you know, or I- incredibly. There was one, you know, yeah. like, like you've used the word incredibly, incredibly. <laughs> Ver- verbal ticks, I think. Correct, that's, that's, that's right. the one, yeah. But uh, you've actually just highlighted uh, one of the great things about uh, an editor's role. That they can pick out these verbal ticks that writers make that they're not aware they're doing mm. and gently say, well, look, um, can you change that? Not everything is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> or, or massive, and uh, or generally uh, writers do avoid uh, using like and you know a yeah. lot. They may say that yes. quite a bit. It's, it's sorry to jump yep. in there, sure but it was one of the questions about editing that you go, Gordon, um, is what was the, um, I guess, the theme, or did you have a theme? So when you got these submissions, you know, you were mm-hmm. talking about the process of editing. Was that a thing where you edited each piece as its own narrative, or did you sort of have a layout of where you wanted the flow of, you know, somebody picking up the book, mm-hmm. opening up page one, getting to the end and then seeing some sort of a through line. Look, no, when, when a piece mm. comes, and this is probably true for all editors, you want sure. the piece to speak Stand for itself its yeah. and you want to give it the best chance of communicating. Absolutely. So you work on it as the piece itself. Sure. It wasn't as though, oh, well, this is about this thing we don't want it. I mean, in a sense, yeah. the only qualifying principle was, did you write it this year or mm-hmm. more or less were you working on it this year? Yeah. And so that, so that a person, again, picking up this volume would say, aha, that was 2017. Yeah. Right. Mm. So it's certainly you don't go, say, or asking a person to change their meaning or their intent. Yeah, sure. It's their voice. Mm. It's their statement. So it's more a smorgasbord. You can it is, dip yeah. into it as, as mm. you want. And perfect, too. I've got to say, with short stories, uh, sometimes, um, well, I hear some of the major publishers say, oh, you know, it's difficult uh, to sell short stories. It's, uh, But on the other hand, uh, some of the short story writers I've spoken to say, well, actually, they're perfect for our busy age when mm-hmm. you haven't necessarily got a lot of time to sit down, but you might have a ride from Morabin um, into the city on the train, and it's just <laughs> uh, it's just perfect for that. Uh, and there's some, it's a great list of authors you've got on the, on the back here. Jeez, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of people have contributed i see tiffany jones's name there as well um going back though to, to the um uh the actual vote itself i wanted to get some sort of sense of uh what the feedback was from the uh, to you from the lgbti community 
Uh, we've had a lot of press about um, the difficulty, sometimes even trauma, as far mm-hmm. as going through that vote, uh, the, the public vote, as opposed to doing a parliamentary vote. And I was surprised to find this morning, I was just Googling about the history of same-sex marriage legislation in Australia, and I wasn't aware of this, but according to Wikipedia, between 2004 and 2017, I think it is, there have been 22 attempts to legislate in Mm -hmm. Parliament for same-sex marriage. Mm -hmm. And then finally, the plebiscite resolved it. First of all, is that about right? I've cut nearly two dozen votes over the last sort of 20... That would be about correct. I mean, the the original vote by John Howard to sort of cancel it out took about an hour and a half. You know, yeah. with very little debate, yeah. and of course, then the mm. to work things mm. backwards. So there has taken many yeah. votes. I think it's, I think you're right about those numbers, yeah. and certainly the effort taken, and many people working very mm. hard to yeah. create that reality. Because uh, I mean, if someone who voted yes, and I didn't have to think about it too much. It's just a principle of democracy and equality. Yes, you know, it should be equal. Uh, I was interested, and I was actually pleased to have a say, but I was also empathetic of people who thought, oh, gee, hang on, this could open up a lot of uh, you know, bad uh, things for us. I, I get that. But what it seems to have done is absolutely resolve this question because uh, as part of the Googling, I looked up uh, at Tony Abbott's uh, promotion of the no vote, and he, he was suggesting that there was a silent majority that didn't feel as though they were able to publicly uh, uh, support same-sex marriage, mm-hmm. that there was this political correctness. And when people got a ballot paper in the privacy of their own home, that they would say what they really thought and um, there, it would be uh, a win for, for the no campaign or certainly mm-hmm. much closer. And I was really surprised at this silent majority notion and also that the polls had got it wrong. But I've got to say, as someone who wasn't subjected to taunts or anything, so as I say, I'm empathetic towards that, but I thought in the end it was a resounding and clear message that any politician who thought that was simply out of touch with their electorate and no more so than I think it's Warringah, his uh, Tony Abbott's electorate. Most people in Warringah solidly supported the yes vote. So did, was there a sense at the end, well, okay, we didn't want to go down this path, but now we have, we've settled it for all time. Look, I, I think that that is the case. You know, yeah. like I, I don't speak for the community because mm. I'm, I'm just a publisher. Mm. You know, yeah, but, yeah. Uh, but certainly it's been an amazing sort of time. Mm. A, a few years ago, the, the imprint, we did publish an anthology called Speak Now which okay. was yes, no, and ambivalent voices and yeah. just an interesting debate on the... Uh, mm. And in the interview with Dennis Altman, we mentioned that and he dis- we discussed the fact that it just didn't set the world on fire, that particular anthology, though yeah. I still see copies around. Okay. Um, but yeah. it was certainly... When Speaking things were a bit out. more fluid, yeah. but um, Dennis's comment was that uh, multi-author works often don't set the world on fire. It's the single-author polemic, you know, yeah. somebody yeah. getting up and doing the rant, perhaps, yeah. well, you know, which has the, um, has the edge. clear yeah. focus yeah. and um, a, a it, target yeah. as well. It's, it's interesting as well because you mentioned, right, they didn't set the world on fire, but yeah. one, of those, one of those things that I've noticed, and then most, and this is a bit off-topic, but I, yeah. I like digressing into culture and stuff yeah. like that because it's very yeah. interesting. Um, it's... One of those things that in most democracies you see, um, when there's a vote of any kind, it seems like an arbitrary thing. Yeah. Most people vote, you know, yes or no. And once the vote is done, most people just give up, like, on either side of the campaign. If they won or they lost, yeah. there's always that little bit of an mm. underground, sure. But, and, you know, most people accept it and get on with their lives. And the leader of the losing side sometimes resigns. Yeah, leader, exactly. Doesn't hang around in Parliament. <laughs> the exception, yeah. I guess, would be the American election, but, you know, that... <laughs> 
we'll, we'll never get over that, I guess, yeah. for most people. Mm. Okay. So, well, um, uh, the jubilation at the end, uh, have some of the stories captured that in the Bent Street well, Anthology? In a funny sort of way, it's because of the, the as it's being formed, I think there's that sense of tentative holding back. Yeah. You know, so uh, certainly the very last article, Rodney Crooms, you know, he gave a lecture and uh, he talks about that. You know, he's very much like... Mm. It is jubilation, but the the piece he's written, it's a lecture that was given after this vote came in, is confident and strong and it's positive. It's talking about, like, this will have deep effects, just not just on the LGBTI community, but moreover. And I think that's always been a little bit of the case with the... um, with the LGBTI publishing that the Clouds of Magellan imprint has done is that yeah. sometimes people start off thinking, oh, well, this is going to be curious, you know, oh, how interesting, how yeah. strange and queer. But <laughs> what they actually find is commonality and they find community and they find fellow travellers and that's... Um, that's a very powerful thing. I was going to ask you to yeah. expand a little bit on more. Over, uh, you, I was assuming you meant the community as a whole, Australia as a whole. No, that, look, that, I think uh, uh, Croom is talking certainly that it will invigorate yeah. the Australian mm. community as yeah. well. I think br- quite broadly yeah. he's talking about. That. It's funny because just before Christmas uh, I was in uh, the States and one of the cities I visited was San Francisco. And as you do, arbitrarily, arbitrarily walking through a park, having just been to the Haight Ashbury district where the Flower Power Revolution mm-hmm. was centred in '67, and they're they're celebrating it 50 years I down re- the track. I, re- I remember that. <laughs> oh, remember. <laughs> well, you might know this doggy park that's uh, on a hill uh, overlooking Haight Ashbury, and we get bumped into someone, uh, a, a guy around about uh, my own age, I'm in my 50s, and um, he said. Um, why did you take so long to uh, make same-sex marriage legal? And it wasn't a, an easy one to answer. And just sort of in winding up this interview on the Bent Street anthology, um, publisher Gordon Thompson, uh, why do you think it did take so long for us to legalise same-sex marriage? Because of, I think, the the stranglehold grip of politics. Yeah, that's and a good I think, uh, it's a good metaphor. I think the Saturday paper a week or so back was saying that Australians generally think more progressively than they actually vote. Oh, okay. And so the vote actually yeah. calls out a sort of conservative uh, fatalism. Yeah. And oh. that is very cold and very sort of chilling on the whole process. So yeah. I think... Uh, Maybe it sort of heralds change. Maybe if we did, did everything by a postal vote, we yes. might actually just get more progressive, you know, progressive yeah. policies oh. as a whole. Oh, well, very. That was an eloquent answer, wasn't it, Joel? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so I, I've been talking now with Gordon Thompson and his anthology. He's the publisher of Clouds of Magellan Press. And the first, the inaugural Bent Street anthology, the Australian LGBTIQA plus arts writing and ideas. I'm taking that from the cover. Now, just to remind again, Gordon, when, it, when and where is it being released, including the address of Hares and Hyenas? Well, Hares and Hyenas Bookshop, 63 Johnson Street in Fitzroy, and on the 11th of February, Sunday afternoon, 4 o'clock, high tea time, <laughs> there'll be a celebration. That, that's Fantastic. the Melbourne one. There will be a Sydney event as well. And Great. the book is available from, well, basically everywhere. Yeah, so if you Google so, it, and yep, uh, it's a, you'll find it there, Bent Street 1. And thank you also, Joel Martin, mm-hmm. uh, his festival called Speculate. And remember, the website is specfic.com.au. And thank you also, I really like the three-way conversation there and coming in with a few questions um, through it to uh, you know, 
tease out some of the uh, the issues and the mechanics also. You can see how much I like going into the uh, publishing and writing <laughs> side of things as well. But that's one of the things we do on Publish or Not, get into the craft of writing. Well, that, wrap, that wraps it up for the fourth of the summer edition with me, Ewan Mitchell, in the chair. Uh, now, next week we're going to have uh, another very special edition. It is the last of me in the chair, but David McLean will be rejoining us for the interview. I'm not going to say who it is, but uh, stay tuned for that. And that wraps up our theme for the week on the community or writing communities in Melbourne, the world's second city of literature. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.